Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. A month ago, the Wall Street Journal published an op-ed by Yale freshman Sahar Tartak. She wrote about how illiberal her liberal high school had become and the way she and other students were berated, bullied, and insulted for voicing dissent towards the school's race, essentialist policies, and programs. The story is that in 2021, Great Neck North High School on Long Island directed the student government to give $375 of student funds to a, quote, racial equity group to speak to the student body about systemic racism. Sahar was the student government's treasurer, and she felt they didn't know enough about the organization and its mission to disperse the funds. So she decided to, re she refused to sign the check. So joining me today is uh, that very courageous Sahar Tartak, in addition to being a freshman at Yale, she's also a fellow at the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, also known as FAIR. Uh, so Sahar, welcome. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell me, what's the backstory here? You were, you're junior in high school. They come to you with this. You're the student treasurer. Why don't you take it from there? Sure. Okay. So there are some clarifications that I like to make. The first one being that when the school approached student government asking for like $400 for this presentation, my central issue was not with the contents of the presentation. My central issue was actually with not knowing what the contents of the presentation were going to be. So when somebody approaches me, or I think in general, when we're approached and we hear somebody say, I'm going to present to you about systemic racism, we actually might have no idea what that means because there are so many different ways that that can be navigated. And there are so many different narratives of systemic racism. Like I wouldn't even call it a spectrum. I would call it a color wheel of what, of how we can, of how we can define systemic race, racism in America and what conclusions we can draw from there. So as a consequence of that lack of knowledge, I asked for more information before signing off on the check and the teachers in charge of student government under the instruction of the school administration berated and bullied me at our next meeting. They actually brought in one of my current teachers at the time. So two people who had control over my extracurriculars and one person with control over my grades. And the three of them over Zoom with my parents as witness in the dining room made, made various insults and accusations about me as a human being. So for instance, Sahar, do you find slavery debatable? Sahar, would you have questioned us bringing in a Holocaust survivor to the school? My grandfather is a Holocaust survivor. You, you so, talk, talk about your yeah. family background as well, too, because I think that it bears on this because you're, you're probably the last person somebody would think of as being racist. Sure. So my mother escaped revolutionary Iran in 1979 as a teenage girl because the the Ayatollah wouldn't, you know, tolerate a young Jewish woman, particularly one with ambition. She came to the United States, learned the language, and became a doctor. 
but by herself. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty fantastic story. Um, and my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor, so he lost his family to a firing squad, and he was lucky enough to escape and came to the United States on the Berlin airlift with his dad, and he had lost his mother and his siblings in Poland. And he also made a life for himself here. So that, that is to say that, that my family is very familiar with racism and persecution. My mom also has like a scar on her eyelid from an anti-Semitic hate crime. Somebody threw a rock at her when mm. she was living in Iran. Like, like we know, we just, we, we know what this is um, so, to say the least. So, so cutting back into the Zoom session, they're sitting there right with you and they're listening to these, uh, these teachers, these administrators uh, tell you how terrible they were. I mean, did they react on screen or were they, was this a family affair? Did you, uh, you do this, you just sat there and, and I'm curious, how did, what, uh, what was the dynamic? Sure, so my parents were just in the room, but they weren't on screen because, you know, arguably they weren't supposed to be. At the same time, when the level of, I guess, bullying is that extreme, I thought it was appropriate that they were there. Um, so yeah, they were, they were in the room, they were listening, but for the most part, they let me take it on myself and they took, took notes and, you know, made, made sure that we had, you know, evidence of everything that was being said. So they, they were writing everything down and essentially listening in horror. And then at the end of the Zoom call, I like broke down crying because like mm -hmm. as a teenage, as a teenager, you're not necessarily prepared to be bullied by adults with authority over you. I think now I'm probably stronger, but you know, back then I you wasn't. Were, you, were, you were 16, 17? Yeah. And yeah. that's not to say that that's not to, that's not to lament and like call myself a victim because like, no, the idea here is that we are not victims and that it's worth being courageous. If the worst that can happen is you get, you know, bullied, even if the worst that can happen is that you actually do like lose your job, like stuff like that happens. But I like, that's, it's not even a question to me. Like it's, it's worth it. Like this is about speech. This is the values that we protect. And like the reason my family came to this country. So what happened after, as the call wound up, what was the, what, what, what was the resolution? There was no resolution. Yeah. So that your next step was you decided to go talk to the school board? Oh, no, going public with the school board was not the next step. There were a lot yeah. of like administrative meetings after this between like me and the administration and my parents and the administration, which also resulted in nothing. So, so the other students yeah. involved in this were they uh, were they with you or were you uh, did you have a, have a coterie of people that were like minded? Um, they, I would say that they were on my side, but I was certainly spearheading this, and that it was largely silent support. Although one of my peers, the, the president of student government at the time, was she stood up for me during the meeting. But you know, in the aftermath, it becomes a lot more personal between like me and the administration over like your employees did this to me. So at, in, the, in, the, in the aftermath that you mentioned, you had a teacher responsible for your grades and you also had somebody who was important to your extracurricular. Was there, did they take any actions against you? No, no, none that, none that were visible. Okay. That's the thing is that it's, it's actually really hard for that to happen because like, and, and that's, that's actually a good thing. Like, and it does happen. And when it happens, it's horrifying but you can't really like ignore, for instance, like grades, like my grades were not debatable. 
I bet your grades were pretty good. <laughs> am I am I correct about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So what if you, you said you, you, you objected not because you, of the substance, but because of the way it was done, you didn't know what was in the document. But after you learned what the substance was, what was your take? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, the subs I would say the substance of, of like basically this presentation was moderately partisan, definitely debatable stances on racism in the United States. So for instance, like the organization cited Nicole Hannah-Jones, who controversially authored the 1619 Project. In yeah, New York um, Times. Yeah, the 1619 Project yeah. is a framework of the United States, which the, the like the thesis states that racism and slavery are baked into our foundations, as opposed to democracy and forming a more perfect union. Yeah. So, so 16, that, that is, 16, yeah. 1619 was with the date America was founded, according to them, not 1776. Yeah, exactly. Because 1619 is when slaves were first brought here. Yeah. And that's, that, listen, that's not to, that's not to say this isn't a dialogue that should be had. Like, I want people to go back and forth and debate about this. And debate is really important because it gets us better answers, right? When, when I get questioned, I actually like, I'm forced to find more evidence to support what I have to say. My problem was that this was, nothing here is being framed as a debate. This is now an, an opinion framed as a mandate, particularly when it's supposed to be a presentation given to the student body, as opposed to a dialogue with the student body. So I understood that that was going to be an issue. And again, even without, like, even prior to knowing the, co the contents of the pres presentation, I understood that at the end of the day, if you present something to someone, like a big group of people about racism, a bunch of people will be unhappy with it. Well, this was an eye, yeah. this was an eye opener for you, wasn't it? I mean, there was a, there's a feeling here where, uh, you know, it, it seems like you didn't know that much about this part of the curriculum or what was included and didn't, didn't this spark you and some other students to take a look at what else was being taught in the high school? Yeah, so my dad actually investigated this by submitting a Freedom of Information Act request to the school. And this is this is a really interesting process because legally they are obligated to like tell you what they're teaching the kids. And so my dad and I dug through that. We didn't do it alone either. We had some help with the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism is an institution that like has lawyers and helped us submit that request. So we basically dug through it and we found a lot of interesting lessons. Like one of them was literally entitled a critical race theory approach to the great Gatsby. And <laughs> can, can you share, well, finish your story, but then I maybe want you to share what that was about. <laughs> oh, um, we had, Obviously, in uh, not obviously, I, this is my journal article, but I'm telling you right now that sure. I like in my social studies class, the 1619 project was presented to us. Um, there was a really controversial slideshow presentation that actually exploded in my hometown that was not submitted to us in the FOIA request. The FOIA request process, I haven't said this on any of my interviews, the FOIA request process was like pretty bad. They took way too long to give us the information that we wanted. And then they gave it to us the day before a highly controversial school, school board election. 
So had we had that information a month ago, had we had those presentations and that curricula, it probably would have been used well to show that the school board isn't doing what it should be doing and that there's a lot of controversial curricula in front of us. But because they took so long to give it to us, we couldn't use it for school board elections, which is like good public information to have before an election that largely has to do with curricula. So that was one interesting story related to the FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act. And yeah, also something that we found when I did, this didn't even require much digging. Like I was sitting in class and my friend shows me a presentation that he's being taught. And he's like, Sahar, am I supposed to be learning this in school? And I'm like, okay, let's, let's see this presentation. And it's again, very, very partisan stuff. Like these are quotes, like America is as racist today as it was 200 years ago. Um, it instructed students to like consider their own like white privilege. And I think some of the recommended reading was white fragility, that, which has like this thesis that white people get defensive when they're called racist because they're fragile and want to uphold current systems of racism. And again, I'm, actually not interested in shutting down any opinions right now and going like that's a debate to be had but at the end of the day I asked him was this presented to you as fact or as opinion and he said as fact and then he showed me a pledge at the end of the presentation requiring students to pledge to like commit themselves to the lifelong process of anti-racism as defined by the presentation and I said did you have to take this pledge and he said yes and I said that's not acceptable well, you're pretty tough-minded, and it sounds like you've got a good family to support you. Uh, it, it seems like the other kids in your school didn't have this kind of resilience, though. Didn't the, most people just agree to to knuckle under and sign just to uh, go along? Yeah, so most students don't, people in general don't want to take risks with their personal life for like, for far, for like out there kind of distant, intangible, ideological purposes. So I, yeah, I received a lot of silent support from people. But it's, it was brutal. You've got a quote in your, in your Wall Street Journal op-ed where one of your teachers cut you off and they said, if you're not on board with systemic racism, I have trouble with that girlfriend. Yeah, so at the same time, there's, there, is a, there was a lot of bullying going on. And why the reason I stood up against it was because I just didn't want it to happen to anybody else. And not as many students have that experience, you know, to be fair, like it's hard to join a fight that isn't close to you. So like, I actually, some people do though. Some people are even, I would say even more courageous than I am. Like my close friend actually ran for student government the next year to back me up on this. Like for no reason, it was like a thankless job, but he, he knew something needed to be fixed and he ran, he ran for office with me, which was cool. But for the, for the most part, kids weren't super interested in standing up. They were on my side. They were really happy with what I was doing, but like nobody, essentially nobody wants to risk being a martyr. Did you look, did you look a little further at all the other high schools and what they're doing? I mean, it, my impression is that this kind of curriculum is being taught in every single high school in the country. Ooh, um, I think it, it definitely trickles in. Well, you were in a very uh, progressive, well, not, not progressive. I mean, the, 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 your school's very interesting in Great Neck. It's about half uh, immigrants and people who have descended from, from uh, 
you know, fled from totalitarian regimes like you, like your mother did from from Iran. I mean, it, it's uh, there, there's a lot of sensitivity to multiculturalism. What that really means in your in your community is that not true? Yeah, absolutely. And actually, a lot of the people who have those experiences were the ones most staunchly opposed to the nonsense happening in my school. So, for instance, my close friend, another close friend whose parents left, you know, a communist regime in China looked at the presentation that my friend showed me and said, Sahar, this is so creepy. This is like what my mom learned in school. It ends in an ideological pledge. Mm -hmm. So that level of familiarity with basically with the importance of speech and democratic ideals makes a lot of makes a lot of immigrant children feel unfavorably towards this stuff. So you you uh, what happened at the board meeting when you presented and I and, and I believe that the video of that's on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah, so it is. I think it's one hour and 34 minutes into the board meeting because it's like a full recorded board meeting. Well, you will have to clip it. So I found out about this board of ed meeting, I think maybe the day of or the day before and what was going to be happening and what a lot of parents in particular were coming to protest. So I decided that this was really gonna be my opportunity to speak up about other things that were happening in the school and really let like the rest of the community know that there was a lot going on. That the school administration had basically been, you know, sponsoring like this mandated learning of controversial ideas to the kids and was also sponsoring intimidation to get there. So I wrote up a speech basically detailing what happened with student government and also just included like this question of really this presentation, the very controversial Google Slides presentation, it's been being taught for years. How could the people in charge here have not known about this and how could they not have been so transparent, you know? Like it's, it was, it was a problem, it's an issue that our school was enforcing ideologies with, with an iron fist, not even a, like rather than a gentle hand. I'd also like to note that I personally fear serious academic repercussions from this speech due to the aforementioned political environment of our school. Speaking from personal experience, this is no discussion, this is not critical thinking, this is intimidation and division. Please don't allow this to be promoted. That, that video like was very popular. I immediately, I present, basically I presented my case, a lot of what I just told you, and I received like a standing ovation, a lot of, again, like silent support, emails, texts, teachers, parents, students, thank you. A lot of that stuff. I had outreach from the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, whom I mentioned earlier, and they made a documentary with me and my dad about this story. And then uh, I would say, I guess maybe it was a, a year. About a year later, I published in the journal. Well, let's talk about Foundation for Against uh, Intolerance and Racism. Uh, where is it based and, and who's involved with it and, and what's its mission? Sure. So FAIR is a civil rights organization that's essentially dedicated to making sure that everybody can say their piece and that we don't look at each other on the basis of our like immutable characteristics such as such as race sex gender stuff like that 
So FAIR does advocacy work across the United States and has chapters, many chapters across the United States where, where people can get, people basically get involved in a variety of ways. So for instance, they have a legal department and that was the legal department that helped my dad file a freedom of information request. They have media, um, they basically do like a lot of publicity stuff. So making sure that people know that this message is out there and trying to make sure that people are involved. They have trainings like how to have like a good dialogue with people, how not to be, how not to attack the other side and people who you disagree with. They have a, they have like a board with a lot of kind of well-known names of people who believe in this cause. Well, you've got Ian Hurston Alley who uh, fled from I think uh, she flee from Ethiopia, whatever. She was very, various countries where she was systematically abused. But I love your uh, the the organization's statement that they are pro-human, and then they define it. And I love the definition: advocating for one human race, universal civil rights and liberties, and compassionate opposition to racism and intolerance rooted in dignity and our common humanity. And, you know, it seems like the political world now more than ever, impossibly more than ever is rooted in uh, intolerance. It's rated in, you know, in uh, identity politics and sowing the seeds of division so as to hoover up votes and, uh, and gain power. It seems like this is an organization devoted to stopping that and letting us all think about ourselves as human beings rather than as a member of some some identity group. Yeah, fair is fair is really cool because their values are extremely nonpartisan. And yeah. once you kind of read them, they're popular on both sides of the aisle. So fair has a lot of people on the board who would consider themselves liberals, who would vote Democrat, which isn't necessarily expected because nowadays we have this really divisive dialogue about critical race theory, where you either believe that it's being taught in schools or you believe that it's a legal theory and that this is like a censorious lie led by right-wingers, whatever. That's basically where the divide is. And FAIR does this thing where they're like, we don't care what side you're on. We have these, we have these pro-human values. They apply to you, you, you and we'll move forward from there. And like, I think they even avoid the term critical race theory because they know that it divides people. So you're, you're, you're in your dorm room at Yale and you've been there for about two or three months. And uh, did Yale know that you were going, that you were an advocate for this before they admitted you? Or did you, uh, was this, would, did this come up on the radar screen during the process of admission? Because Yale, as we know, is pretty woke. Sure, so that's a great question. I will tell you what my admissions process looked like related to this controversy. I wanted to I wanted to tell them that I was making a documentary with Fair because it's a big deal like in terms of college to make a documentary with like a national advocacy group. So what I did was I framed it and I felt this was quite honest. I framed it as like a nonpartisan civil rights documentary relating to open speech and dialogue. Because again, there's no need to touch the words critical race theory if it immediately causes division. 
so that's that was and also that was all the information I had to give them by then was just the documentary like I hadn't been in the journal yet so I actually I actually reported that to my colleges like I like it was an application update I told them and everything and I don't think it hurt me mm -hmm. well I'm so I'm glad you're there so uh what are you doing at Yale now now that you're there now we are we we bringing these uh these ideas and this mission to the Yale campus yeah, that's also a great question. So I'm, I'm obviously a freshman, so I'm still finding my way. There's a lot of good places here for dialogue. I'm checking out some of the debate societies, but I also, I also spend a lot of time, like, not related to Yale extracurriculars, doing stuff like this, like talking to people and getting the message out. But here at school, I'm taking some, I'm probably going to major in something related to politics and get probably get more involved with the debate scene here. We'll we'll basically we'll see. It, it's a good it's honestly it's a good place for dialogue. It's better than it's better than what people think it is because here and there there are these controversies that like look and are <laughs> horrible. But right. when you're not when you're not in those controversies, then you're like usually just with normal people who are tolerant and interested in talking about stuff and like, you know, inquiry and and truth. Again, again, across the aisle, like people I'm, are. I'm, people feel, are I'm feeling. I'm feeling very parental. Um, are you going to join the debate club? Are you going to be? <laughs> you know, there's a lot to explore at college, and it's not all political activism. And I, I, you, you have time now to to explore a lot of, uh, you know, truth, beauty, truth and beauty, and poetry and music and all that. I mean, it's there's all that there. I mean, there's a whole culture um, that's. Uh, it's pretty rich and interesting. And Yale, Yale teaches a lot of that. What, what's your going to be your approach to that? Yeah. So no, I figured you wanted to hear about um, debate, <laughs> which is boring and competitive. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even apply for the debate team. I think they oh. make like multiple rounds of cuts. Oh, that's too bad. There's, there's a lot of great stuff here. So I'm pretty involved with Jewish life on campus, yeah. which is really lovely. What else am I checking out? There's a lot of, there's like a lot of like nice human things that you can do here. So for instance, and I, I, I'm going to start, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been good about this because first semester is rushed, but there are like programs where you could like do swim lessons with, with special needs students. And there's another program where you could do swim lessons with students and faculty at Yale who don't know how to swim. So maybe I will teach people some swimming. Um, I have a really nice, I have a really nice like dorm so dorm social life is actually really cool like somebody knows how to play the guitar somebody can sing so sometimes we play the guitar and sing and like we have dance parties and movie nights in our room it's actually like a lot of the kids here myself included are like trying to unwind from like years of like hyper ambitious well yeah i mean I'll, you know you start and you start when you're two years old getting into yale and i expect you can you can now breathe a sigh of relief for a little bit <laughs> Yeah, there's a big piece of me that just feels like I'm going to get my degree <laughs> and it'll be fine. I still have the, you know, I still have the urge. Like, of course, I want perfect grades. Well, but, you know, <laughs> when I was hiring people out of college, I didn't really ask what they got in their freshman year. Was, Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It was not all that relevant. There are many other things that are. Um well, this is you've you've got a great, great story, and we're up against some really um I don't want to label it too much, but it you know the 
the, the freedom of speech on campus, whether it's in college or high schools or on the campuses of big corporations now even, you're not allowed to, to say certain things and you're supposed to take the, uh, the, approved, uh, the approved philosophy and incorporate it. And I think there are a lot of us that are pushing back against that. I think, I think your voice is gonna be uh, very powerful, although I don't want it to detract too much from the, the parties at, in the dorm. <laughs> yeah we have a good time here no they're like no even 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 my like like my dorm knows that i do this activism they're totally open-minded they just think it's cool hey yeah. guys fox news is in the in the common room <laughs> please be quiet <laughs> well let's we'll, we'll wrap up now because i'm sure you you'll you'll have another adventure and we can have you back on any any last words that you want to share i mean it's a, you've got a great story Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much again for having me today. I think that it's, I think it's really important to, to be courageous and not to live in fear and not to do it alone. So like, please reach out to me on LinkedIn if you are fighting this fight or What's please- your handle? What are all your handles? I don't mean to interrupt. No, it's, it's literally my full name. And I only use, I only use LinkedIn because social media is a sewer. So hard tartak s a s a r a h t a r t a k s a h a r t a r t a k yeah no I'm totally like I'm totally open to talking to people use and get in touch with the foundation against intolerance and racism they will help you don't fight the fight alone but please do fight the fight it's important and right now we're really lucky that the like the risks aren't that high so I'm thrilled to be talking with you and it's uh great to talk with people of courage and intellect and you're one of them and Thank i'm you. looking forward to your path through life oh. uh, so we'll just want to thank everyone else for joining and, and listening in to this really great story uh, this has been the bill walton show and as always you can find us on all the major podcast platforms and youtube and rumble and um, we're also on uh, cpac now and monday nights and soon to be coming probably on thursday nights so a lot of ways to tune in. Please send us your comments to the BillWaltonShow.com or website because we try to get uh, ideas from everybody about who we ought to be talking to and what we ought to be talking about. So anyway, thanks for joining and uh, we'll talk with you next time. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to the BillWaltonShow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.